You're listening to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We're really thankful for our audience and want to tell you that every week and uh, just encourage you to jump online, tell us how much you appreciate our podcast and our ministry at the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and be sure to share the word because that's the best way to spread our ministry around by you telling other people about it. Today I have with me uh, in from Texas, but via Zoom, uh, Pastor Greg Cook, who is the soul care pastor at Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Greg, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Curtis. Well, tell, tell our audience a little bit more about yourself than just your title or the position that you fill at your church? Sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I guess I, I could start, even though you introduced me as being in Texas, I didn't start here. I uh, lived in a few different places, but came to go to seminary. Now it's in excess of 35 years ago, which is hard to imagine. But, um, uh, and, uh, but I've been at the same church for now uh, 25 plus years. I've uh, got three born and bred Texans, I guess you could say, three daughters. Uh, <laughs> That are all out of the house. I'm proud of each one of them. Two of them are married, and one of them has given me a couple of grandchildren. Uh, the most recent, as of August 31st this year. So wow. uh, we feel extremely blessed. And my wife Nancy and I, um, again, neither of us originally from Texas and didn't expect to stay here, but uh, we've been here longer than anywhere else now. Yeah. Wow, well, that's great. Well, thanks for telling us about your family, and it's. But I've had the pleasure of of actually staying with you all, and you have a wonderful family, very hospitable. So, uh, thank you for that. And I also want to mention that you're a member of the BCC Council, so we're interviewing a lot of our council members so that people can get to know you all better. Um, one of the things that what I really want to talk to you about today is the soul care ministry at your church because there are quite a quite a wide array. array wide range of outlets that you all have. You have classes, groups, uh, mentoring, marriage classes, as well as one-on-one counseling. Um, How did the church come to all these different avenues uh, for providing care for people in the church? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Curtis. Um, It wasn't there originally. Uh, I came when the church was right around 15 years old. Um, Actually, interestingly enough, one of our co-founding bivocational pastors was a, um, um, a counselor in the area um, and remained so for a long time. So counseling wasn't born into the warp and woof of the church. Um, but when I came, I had no intentions of adding that as a new ministry to the church. Um, I came as an associate when the church was much smaller. Um, but one of the roles that I had was ministering to people uh, pastorally, and found that uh, much to my chagrin, it seemed like a lot of the people we were ministering to, we'd send them out into the community to get counseling. Mm-hmm. And often that did not help their situation, marriage, or other things. Um, Lord's given me an interest in counseling from back when I was in seminary, but again, thought that I didn't want to pursue that as a parachurch ministry. Um, and I was quite happy coming on to the staff to work with small groups and the assimilation processes. 
Um, I, I wore a few different hats over the course of about seven years uh, and then um, was granted an opportunity to do a sabbatical. And my interest to looking uh, of looking at things further was how did churches do this pastoral care thing? How, how do they, uh, we didn't have a formal pastoral care ministry or department. Uh, but as I looked around, I found that very few churches were uh, doing more than things like benevolence and, and chaplain visits or hospitalization visits. But the formal counseling was either done by a separate parachurch organization uh, or not at all, it seemed. Um, but I, I came out of a background where discipleship was a real emphasis. And to me, counseling, and you, you hear this a lot in biblical counseling circles, counseling is a form of disciple making. And uh, so my passion ran deep for that, but also training up people to do the work of ministry. So a few real seminal passages um, that you hear often, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, where we're to be comforting uh, in the same way we've been comforted. Um, I think um, I wanted to minister to people and had been doing very informally. It wasn't a formal title. I wasn't a church counselor. Uh, but uh, through the normal care events of the life of the church, um, often saw people really get excited about Jesus. And I wanted to put them in front of other people who were in similar situations to them mm. and just as, you know, invite them to get just as excited. Um, so I approached the elders after that sabbatical and writing up some proposals for how we might want to extend our ministry uh, in this way. Soul care, uh, the terminology I'd been used off and on, um, I sort of latched on a little bit to that and proposed that I become the first soul care pastor. And uh, initially, um, there was hesitation just where we are, is where we were at the church at the time, not so much against the idea of counseling. Um, but after a year of sitting on it, they said, yeah, we want to launch you into this, but we're going to have to find eventually somebody to replace the work you're currently doing. They gave me a year to wear both hats, soul care pastor and my current position, but uh, committed that even if they didn't have anybody to replace me with, they would launch me full time into the soul care ministry. And that started slow. Uh, it started with me just, uh, there was one of the former elders. Uh, we have rotating elderships here. Uh, but he was one of the founding uh, members of the church. He had lost a wife, got a master's in counseling. We began to talk more, and he became my first, I suppose, volunteer. Uh, but more than just in, an average volunteer, he was very behind it and had a lot of time and discretionary time to give to it. Uh, and then we just started tapping people as we did the work. Uh, more and more people, we eventually gathered a group of people to pray through and work through how we would form this ministry and how it would be overseen. Now, when you started in those, in those early days, was it very much focused on the one-to-one care um, and what we are very, most of us are very familiar with as what we would think of when we think of biblical counseling? Yeah, that, that is the way we, we started. That was always going to be a centerpiece of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't take us long to want to add other elements uh, and, Groups were one of those obvious places. I think at the time, probably the most popular and growing ministry uh, was something called Celebrate Recovery. It's mm-hmm. still going on, but that was a way for the church to Christianize what was many uh, AA programs 
um, you know, trying to reach the people who were most seemingly most in need. Uh, and uh, we, I had a heart for that. Uh, but it didn't take long to struggle a little bit with a national ministry and all of its emphases and what we were doing locally. Uh, so we wanted to begin to o- offer some things that our congregation would respond well to. And that began a journey of both training and trying to find materials to train with, uh, but also offering them something that they would come to, um, that they would be helped with right away. Um, so, you know, we started with some of the church initiative materials, uh, grief share and divorce care, divorce care for kids. Um, that resonated pretty well with the congregation. Um, but obviously there's a lot more specificity that people were wanting and help that they were wanting. Some of that born out of the equipping classes we were doing and some of that just trying to allow people a, a lower threshold to step into the work with, uh, because I found that um, some people were very hesitant to come to a counseling ministry, but they would come to a group. They would come to um, a class even. And that way I could sort of make it easier for people to consider needing help and uh, asking for it. So the group's ministries uh, really focus around gathering groups of people who are dealing with, struggling with a similar kind of thing. Um, How does that flesh out? And what are are some of the kind of strengths and weaknesses of that approach? Yeah, we, we have two main types of groups, I guess, one around the area of ministry for marriages. Um, we've adopted some materials that uh, a local Dallas church, uh, Watermark, provides uh, some background for and, and support to. And then the other care element was for individuals, whether they were married or not. And we wanted to, to mostly organize those around gender-based groups, mm-hmm. uh, just because of the nature of people's struggles. Um, the, the biggest part of that individual-oriented uh, group type is Thrive, where uh, people come and they go through a fairly intensive, I would say very intensive, um, 13 plus weeks of meeting with an individual uh, weekly, doing daily work between them and the Lord and opening up the scriptures for themselves, and then a group time and then a large group teaching time. Um, So that combined takes seven to eight hours a week. We needed to provide Mm. something that wouldn't be that big a step um, and so the specialty groups where we started focusing on one type of issue, um, became a very great way of funneling some of the people who are seeking help into a group when help wasn't intensely needed. Mm. And, um, and also we find it, I'll say a generalization. I think a lot of times people struggle with really being open and honest in a group setting. Uh, We have home groups uh, and they're quite expansive and there's a lot of them. Uh, But occasionally I would be in the counseling context and I'd ask a person, are you also involved with, uh, you know, with groups? And they say, yeah, but I never share the kind of things I'm sharing with you in a group context. And I really wanted to provide opportunities for people to grow in their ability to be open and honest about their struggles in a safe environment. So most of those groups are very much a closed group. That is, they don't allow new people to come in on a regular basis. They start a particular time and end at a particular time. And so some of those, what we call specialty groups, feed into helping a person then take the bigger step of going into an intense discipleship like Thrive, uh, which we say are for people who are stuck in either suffering or sin. 
And in general, that's the discipleship emphasis we make at Soul Care, where all the ministries here at the church would say they're contributing to discipleship. Mm -hmm. But we want to especially make it a place where people can know that they can come if they're stuck. Um, yeah. Now, the Thrive, with that being the, the um, 13 weeks, uh, is that is that what you would call your one-on-one -on -one counseling, or is that a separate, distinct, because it's listed as mentoring, discipleship, that kind of thing. So it, it just curious if it's more of a general curriculum or something like that you take somebody through, or is that just a name that you use to describe the one-on-one soul care ministry? Good question. There are some one-on-one -on -one elements, uh, but they're not nearly as intensive as what we offer when we talk about the individual care setting mm. and doing the traditional sort of counseling approach in an office with either one person or a couple people. Um, uh, again, we're trying to warm people up to the idea of being open and honest in community. Uh, so I see those very much partnering together. In some cases, a person will come to the individual care part of the ministry uh, first, and then they'll be prepared and, and more ready to go into a group context. And other times people will start with a group and because things surface up there, they may find that they need some individual help uh, along the side. So uh, I think they work collaboratively together. Yeah. Uh, we don't see an ongoing individual ministry. Uh, we don't typically see people for more than six to 10 weeks uh, on an individual basis. The purpose is to prepare them to get more involved in the in the larger work of the congregation, um, and the more. Um, but we also need to help them. I, I found uh, one of the reasons that I'm so excited about the groups um, is I found people depending on me for their spiritual or or the lay counselors mm. for their spiritual feet feeding every week. Yeah, uh, in yeah. most cases, they'd go to this service, but they weren't in community and they weren't serving. Um, and I think most people are fairly passive in, in some senses with individual counseling uh, to put them into a group that that sort of motivates them to be more a part of a community. Mm. Uh, and I didn't want the end game in the individual counseling process to let a person resolve an issue or a concern and then fall back into no community no service, irregular worship, only to see them reemerge a few months later. Yeah, no, that's a good, because uh, it seems like a lot of times people come struggling with something in a very isolated way. Uh, then they come to a very isolated process of change, <laughs> and then they are just going back to being isolated again. Uh, and they may be in a family, in a community, in a small group even, in the church, but as far as actually bringing that thing to bear and bringing the other relationships into that particular issue, it's, it remains isolated if we um, maintain that that approach to care and to counseling. So, no, that's really, really helpful, really good. Um, <clears throat> with the... With the classes, because you guys, the the there, I think when I saw the groups, there were about fifteen groups, and there's some overlap there. There's some, uh, you know, grief share, but the grief share is serving through the holidays or surviving through the holidays. But then you have these classes. Are the classes designed uh, to equip people to do counseling, or are they actually? It looks like they're actually addressing issues and and helping people walk through different struggles. Tell me about the classes portion of the. 
Yeah, I'm uh, really blessed because one of the the, uh, guys who works with me in soul care is a very gifted teacher. He does a lot of classes that that allow people to step into a situation uh, and and learn a little bit about out-of-control emotions or learn something about relationships in a way that, again, is is a safe way to learn. we found early on, if we tried to put an example, for example, uh, uh, have a soul care table in our rate room, our auditorium, or just outside of it, uh, where people can sign up for different things. Nobody would come for soul care occasionally, and we'd, we'd always smile about this, um, because the conversation usually start. I have this friend who, and, <laughs> and you know, we, wink, wink, we want, wink and nod, but the reality is uh, there's still a stigma attached to needing care. Hmm. Uh, especially when we throw in the word counseling, uh, there's not a stigma attached to learning more about sanctification or learning more about what um, what we need. So we get two kinds of people to come to those classes. Either they know somebody who struggles in that particular kind of an area, or they themselves struggle, and invariably it's both. Hmm. Um, and that warms them up to then consider the next step of getting involved either in group or individual care um, or serving. So but we've distinguished those kinds of classes from training classes. So we have okay. most on our website, we don't show most of the training mm-hmm. specific classes uh, because it's an awkward thing to have people to volunteer to do this work uh, when you really don't know them well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hate to use a word that uh, maybe has lots of connotations, but there's sort of a voyeuristic uh, mm-hmm. aspect when people come, they want to help other people, but um, that can easily get distorted and, and make room for things like self-righteousness, pride, or uh, attract people who really aren't equipped to to care well for somebody else. Um, so that's, that's one of the challenges. We want to continue to grow people up. One of the reasons I like Thrive is while I would call the one-on-one aspect of that ministry mentoring more than individual counseling mm-hmm. out of those mentors it, it it allows us to draw from a pool of people who show a special giftedness and as, uh, aptitude for eventually counseling and i'll uh, crude metaphor but I'll, I'll say you know it's a little bit like learning sheet music because we have a, a manual that they follow and there it's very prescriptive descriptive of what they need to do and most of that is listening i would say mm-hmm. that the first eight weeks or so you're just listening to that person and even inviting them to do the praying and the approaching God with issues. Um, after that, we allow them, once they've seen that person for a long time, to start to speak into their lives more directly um, with themes and common issues. Um, the one thing I'm excited about Thrive is nearly 50% of the people who go through it, and sometimes more, actually volunteer to come alongside of somebody else later on. Mm. So most of the participants, uh, are, are willing to step into a mentoring role uh, and we can watch them very carefully. Now, individual counseling is a little bit more like uh, improvisational music, maybe some jazz versus only everything that's scripted. Hmm. And of course it takes more skill, more extended, more extended experience. Um, but we want to have ways that people can be challenged to step into a role. Every role is difficult when you first step into it, but not leave them there, continue to add, to them an ability to be challenged and 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 step into something more challenging. Of course, the individual care elements are are the most experienced people, the most uh, committed to ongoing learning because you're never done 
learning about that. Uh, Care Restore Equip is sort of the three words we use to organize ministries around. And uh, I'm indebted to CCEF, but oftentimes they talk about uh, three different ways that we look at people. We look at them from the perspective of, of sinner, of saint, and of a sufferer. And so we talk about caring for sufferers, restoring sinners, and that implies both horizontally and vertically. And then we want to equip the saints, whether they came in through the care elements or the restoration elements. And in a very general way, we talk about care as being an individual thing. Restoration takes place in the context of community or groups. And then the equipping takes place often in the context of both the formal classes, but also a lot of informal meeting with people after they've had a chance to observe what you're doing and learn lots of, ask lots of questions. So what, what, um, when you get to actually equipping and training people to be participators in the, in the care ministry, maybe even a lay counselor, what does that look like? How do you, how do you actually train them? Yeah, we've, uh, I've done this, uh, all kinds of different ways. Um, you know, I used to do all the coursework up front, which is very traditional. That's the way we sort of do academics in the country. Mm-hmm. I found, though, that doesn't necessarily predict whether a person has the skills necessary. Um, and we would be training as many as 60 people, and we'd go through three hours every Sunday evening, and they'd do uh, two semesters of that before they're actually starting to get in front of people. Now we're uh, watching how people interact with one another early on mm. and seeing, and this is, again, the advantage for something like Thrive and the mentoring approach, or even our small group leaders uh, learn how to interact and they show aptitudes toward doing something like the individual care. We want most people to start through the group process. Mm. Uh, just again, we feel like that's the most uh, beneficial um, and ultimately accomplishes multiple things because you're still presenting the word of God. You're still doing it in the gifting of the spirit, uh, but you're also doing it in community, which can't also always be said in individual counseling. And the the exciting thing about the group process is invariably some, perhaps not most people are really seeing profound sanctification taking place, uh, huge steps. And it, it mitigates against a person saying, well, I can't change, or you're telling me to change. But in the individual counseling, they're not necessarily seeing the change process demonstrated in front of them. Mm. And that's what we get to enjoy in the groups process. Um, But uh, the individual side of things, you know, people, there are a lot of things people go through that really can't be well addressed in a group context, at least not in a very abbreviated one, like we're talking about with either eight weeks or 13 weeks. Um, and uh, the equipping process takes a long time. So we ease people into that, but it's sometimes years, really, mm-hmm. uh, after people have both learned a lot of the content and general understanding of, of biblical counseling, which is not a given in our context. Uh, most people come from a very, I guess you could say, psychologized background. It takes a while to really understand um, what biblical counseling, and if I can use this, a synonym I like to use, Christ-centered, discipleship-oriented counseling, mm-hmm. uh, where the, the goal, the end goal, is helping other people enjoy Jesus more, um, rather than just getting out of a particular circumstance uh, or getting out of a, a struggle they're facing. Yeah, that's really that's really helpful. So um, paint a picture for me of what 
I mean, because part of me is imagining does everybody, that sounds like it would be amazing to have everybody in the church go through Thrive. <laughs> and then you kind of, you know, you're equipping them, you're discipling them, you're, you're, uh, and I think, and I think it sounds like discipleship more in a tr- focus on transformation rather than information. Cause not, not every, but there, I think there are a lot of discipleship programs out there that focus on head knowledge, like learn these facts, learn these fundamentals of the faith, learn these things. That's good, but uh, that's not what Jesus called us to do. He said, teach them how to keep my commandments, not what my commandments are, or what my rules are. Um, <clears throat> sounds like Thrive is that kind of transformational focused discipleship. Do, does everybody go through, or is this people who are... Like, how does it somebody enter into this into into this uh, care and ministry? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, if I, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll use a running metaphor, which is probably not a great one to use. But if people have been sitting on the couch for a long time, uh, you can gather them in groups and say, "Come on, we're going to do a couch to 5K." Uh, I think Thrive would be a little bit more like a couch to a 5K or or a half marathon almost. Uh, and Curtis, you'll appreciate this metaphor. Again, I mix things up, but, uh, uh, you know, the military, uh, if, if you go through and finish a basic training, um, you're going to be more ready than you were 13 weeks prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's so much yet to learn. Um, but there are some people who don't make it through that. And how do we provide graduated ways for people to ease into a process that demands a lot in a very intensive time. We say it takes about seven to eight hours a week. And so we actually give people an application to fill out before they come into Thrive. We want to know if they're prepared. Mm. Invariably, no matter how much preparation we do on the front end, because of the intensity of that process, often people will start uh, eagerly. But if they haven't been reading their Bible daily, if they haven't been in community daily, if they haven't already committed themselves to... um, doing something on a very regular basis, like meeting with an individual or meeting with a group and going to teaching every week. Um, we need to help them where they at, where they're at to get ready for a thrive. But of course I would like everybody in the congregation to go through thrive. Um, I think, you know, there are certain key programs, but um, you know, it, it'd be a little bit like a weed out course in university. If we threw that as the first thing you do, because ideally, I'd say, well, everybody who comes into the church, they go through Thrive first. Yeah. Well, we don't know where they're at, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we don't even know if they're believers. Thrive does work for even non-believers. They hear the gospel weekly in various ways, um, but it depends on their motivational level and what how disciplined they are in some ways. Um there's an infectious growth that happens if they can make it into the halfway mark or better. Uh, but some, uh, we try and vet as many as we can so that we don't have a lot of attrition. Uh, but that comes with uh, another set of challenges, I suppose. Um, I think that the whole process that we're trying to take people through is a form of sanctification. Mm-hmm. And sanctification often happens when we discover more about our sinfulness and our hearts or when we go through suffering and it, it throws us for a loop. So um, I think over the course of many years, everybody in the congregation should go through something like this, but not everybody's ready to go through it because they, um, they may not have the motivation. They may not see the need. Uh, they may not, may not be quite frankly ready to identify themselves as a sinner or a sufferer. 
So if somebody, if somebody in, in your church is struggling and they come to the care ministry, how do they, how do you discern where to put them, how, what, what they need, which do they, do they go to a group? Do they go to a class? Do they go to thrive? Do they go to one on care? Like how do you, in a sense, triage that? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, we have a form that's fairly bare bones uh, that they go to the website and they say looking for help and they'll click that button and it'll come up with a basically a, a fairly small form they fill out online. Part of that form has three very uh, general, uh, um, you know, triage questions. And we call those tiers, tier three being the less, least severe of the three. So if it comes into us as a tier three, most of the time we're going to try and just through a conversation over the phone or sometimes a face-to-face meeting, uh, we'll encourage them to, to start with the group process. Um, if it's a tier one, typically we will most likely do a face-to-face interview and determine whether or not we even have the ability to help them where they're at. If it's too severe an issue, we're going to try and partner with uh, something that allows more intensive help in the community before we then uh, I guess, put them in the regular flow. I, I appreciate a metaphor by Mike Wilkerson years ago. It may not be original to him, but I, that's where I heard it. It may be original. He talked about the normal flow of activity in church, maybe the freeway, if I can put it that way, is the group process. When a person's committing themselves to a community within the church, in addition to worship and hopefully service, uh, things go well and, and uh, there's an ongoing sanctification that happens. But occasionally a person will need a rest stop. And that's what we're sort of calling the groups is a rest stop. Not meant to stay there by any stretch of imagination. They're mean, meant to get the help they need and get back into their normal flow of a home group or whatever other kind of group that they're part of. Um, and then there are other times when you need a tow truck to get perhaps mm. to that rest stop. And that's where we say the uh, individual care. So these three tiers will help us at least begin to wonder is a person more in need of help. And of course, since they're self-assessing, sometimes we'll get a tier three that's really a tier one and vice versa. But at least allows them to identify going into this severe as this, how how life intrusive is this situation for your life right now? And we'll try and, again, put them in community as quickly as possible, uh, but prepare them for that community. Yeah. Well, that, uh, this could sound maybe a little bit daunting to churches. Obviously, your church is a relatively large church. Um, and there's so many different, when I, when I hear about this, when I read about it, I'm like, there's a lot of manpower. Behind this. Uh, but it's great. I mean, it's great to see it fleshed out in these different avenues and having these different ways of caring for people. What would you say to maybe a medium level church, you know, smaller churches to encourage them not to be overwhelmed, but begin to maybe growing and thinking through how they can uh, implement some of these different <clears throat> aspects of care and, and uh, avenues of care besides just one-on-one care with, uh, with the pastor or lay counselors that are there? Yeah. That's a great question, Curtis. And again, you know, I don't forget that's where we started 15 years ago. I remember looking at other ministries that are more well-established um, and feeling a little bit overwhelmed or more than a little overwhelmed, especially since this hadn't already been established as a primary 
way we were going to do care. We've got a very huge men's ministry, women's ministry. There's a lot of big things going on. Um, but uh, I think you start where you can. And oftentimes a group is a better context, maybe a better way of starting where you may be leading a group of people. Uh, what, believe it or not, um, more recently, we've been using probably the smallest book we've ever used for training is a, a book by Ed Waltz called Caring for One Another. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, Ed does an amazing job of breaking it down into eight different lessons, eight different things to remember. And so currently I start to take those who show propensity and interest through this book and just try and encourage them to do it where they can with their neighbors, not through any formal ministry of soul care, but find the people who are already doing the work, help equip them. And so I started with one person and that ended up being two and three. And, you know, we keep growing out of the spaces that we've had. But I won't be finished until everybody's got an awareness of what soul care is and how they're Mm -hmm. stepping into the life of somebody else. And can you imagine a, a church committed to caring for one another this way, both speaking and receiving truth into each other's lives for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of enjoying Jesus most. And then what, what if that church gets leashed out into the community? Everybody knows people are stuck in suffering and sin. Uh, and yet we've got the best news possible. I, I know people ask me from time to time, how can you hear such depressing stories all the time and such discouraging things? And I, I say, you know, I've got, there's nothing you can throw at me that the good, the best news ever can't immediately address or give hope for. Um, and so because I have the answer um, in both a general and specific way, uh, I never tire of sharing that answer with others. I think teaching us as members in a congregation just how to care for one another, uh, I would caution you initially to to not use the counseling word. It's such a freighted word and got many guys I, I greatly admire and respect both in BCC and other places that have tried to destigmatize uh, by removing that term because it, it does two things. It attracts people and we can offer our ministry without, without um, asking people to pay for, for the care we offer. Uh, so we get a lot of people from all over the you know, other churches and community at large. Um, uh, but um we we want to be able to do this here formally so that they'll do it informally for the rest of their ministry career, wherever God places them in their workplace, their neighborhood, their home group. Uh, but people need training. And, and this is one of the areas where I think uh, it's been a little bit co-opted by the secular community. The image and the, and the expectation is if somebody which mentions the word depression, in a group context that immediately you think, well, I can't touch that. Yeah. I don't have the yeah. training. I'm not supposed to touch it. I'm not supposed to ask any more questions. And I'm trying to, you know, again, I'm indebted to among other places, CCEF, which is, you know, we want to restore counseling um, to the church or Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. And yeah. so I don't think all counseling or care should be done outside the church. I think it primarily should be done inside. Yeah, well, that's really good. And uh, there's a lot more we could talk about. We haven't even gotten to some of your overseas work. And I know some some of our friends in South Africa have really been blessed by your ministry and training as well. But uh, our time is is a little bit over, actually, but it was, it was good. So we're going to move into our end segment, Two Minute Favorites. Are you ready for this? 
Oh, I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. What is your favorite food? You know, I like breakfast as a meal best. Uh, and I think uh, if I was going to do my favorite breakfast, I'd say an English breakfast. All right. Favorite uh, color? Blue. Favorite candy? Uh I love chocolate covered almonds and I'm not enough of a connoisseur to want dark chocolate. I don't give me the milk chocolate. Uh, favorite gift you've ever received. Uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, well, besides salvation, uh, that's a given, right? Uh, a friend of mine gave me a fountain pen quite unexpectedly and I enjoyed that a lot. And now I've, I've uh, grown to appreciate those, but, uh, um, that was, uh, an interesting gift. Favorite gift you've ever given. Uh, I'd have to say uh, the wedding ring I gave Nancy. Uh, favorite word? Uh, I'm calling a blank on that. Uh, you know, I, probably lovely, but I use it sarcastically. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's maybe a most used word. I'm not sure it's my favorite, but uh, others probably would see I'm using it a lot. All right. Least favorite word? Oh, gosh. I, I picked three. Uh, but let me just offer two of them. I think right now, unprecedented. Uh, <laughs> And abuse is also one of those uh, least favorite words right now. Hmm. Uh, favorite book of the Bible? Uh, I'd have to say Philippians. All right. Favorite book outside of Scripture? Um, Desiring God uh, is is one that's really impacted my life a lot. I, I suppose this, a second one, uh, You Can Change by Tim Chester, just seems to hmm. really be able to... Uh, I've enjoyed seeing people read it and be helped by it and walking people through that sometimes. Favorite ice cream flavor? I think uh, mint cappuccino. Hmm. If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? I think photo- photographic memory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I also, I, I threw in speed reading on top of that, but I guess you can see where I'm going with that. Yes, yes. Enough time for the reading all right. Well, that wraps up our time. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, mind reading, I think, is what another one counselors sometimes wish we could have too. So very good. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being with us on 1514 today. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you for listening to this episode of 1514. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. You can also contact us at podcast at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to Carrie Felton, our podcast producer, who arranges and coordinates these interviews, and James Wills, our podcast engineer, who does the sound editing and makes these episodes sound so great. I thank you for being with us again and hope you can join us next time on 1514.